You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We're going to take a brief break from Romans this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Um, After I charged us in the sermon uh, a few weeks ago that I preached that it's time to get back out there and be more intentional about mission again, I thought it would be good uh, to remind us what our mission as the church, as the people of God in Christ is. And that's to make disciples of all nations. Amen? Amen. So that's why we're gonna take some time in Matthew uh, 28, 16 through 20 this morning. Um, With that said, I'll, I'll pray for us and we'll jump right in. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness and redemption that we have in Jesus. We thank you that we get to call one another brothers and sisters in Christ because you've saved us uh, by grace through faith in Jesus, which is a gift from you. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to worship you as a church family accordingly this morning with gratitude, um, not only as we worship together uh, this Sunday morning, um, but as we go out here uh, from here on mission, living the rest of our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, We'll walk through our text again, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Um, this text closes out uh, the book of Matthew, which means that this is what Matthew and what God through Matthew wanted to leave us with, what he chose to close the book of Matthew out with, um, meaning this is how we're to respond. This is the mission that we're being tasked with as the people of God in light of who Jesus is and all that he's accomplished as revealed in the book of Matthew. So this is important, right? You know, this is Matthew's closing application for us, for all Christians, as we finish out the book of Matthew. So this is a listen up moment. So look at verse 16, which says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. The disciples uh, head to Galilee as Jesus had instructed them to. We see this in Matthew 28, 10. It says, then Jesus said, that, said to them, the women, uh, do not be afraid and, and go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Apparently Jesus had told them a specific mountain they were to meet at, so they go there. Verse 17 says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is further illustrating something we've talked about many times um, as a church, uh, that our problem as sinners is not a lack of revelation, right? It's not a lack of God revealing the truth to us, but our problem is our sinful hearts, amen? Because again, they have the resurrected Christ before them, and some of them are still wrestling with doubt. The issue is not revelation. (laughs) The issue is not a lack of revelation, it's our sinful hearts. Now the good news is that for the elect, faith in Christ will ultimately win out over our doubts because God will make sure that it does via the Holy Spirit at work within us. You know, as Christians, we all wrestle with doubt, sometimes to varying degrees. Otherwise, what is sin? What's happening when believers sin, <laughs> right? When believers sin, it's some, some level of doubt that we're wrestling with, right? So as Christians, we all wrestle with doubt to to varying degrees, but if we're truly his, if we have true saving faith in Christ, we won't be lost to it completely. 
to doubt because God will make sure that we aren't and that we continue, that we persevere in the faith until the end. This is the doctrine we've talked about many times, the, the preservation of the saints, meaning that for those who are truly his, God will keep us in the faith until we reach the finish line via the Holy Spirit at work within us. You know, I've used this illustration before, but I think it's helpful here. We won't let go of God, not completely, because God won't let go of us. Amen? Right, he won't let us completely let go of him, in other words. Verse 18 through 20 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus starts with all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In short, as God in the flesh, I have complete sovereignty over, uh, sovereign authority over all things. As God in the flesh, I have complete sovereign authority over all things. Therefore, I have the authority to give you this command, i.e. your mission as my people. And so the text is structured as such. All authority and heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And in, in light of my authority, here's your mission. That's the structure. As sovereign king of all creation, here are your marching orders. In other words, here's your mission that I'm tasking you with. Now, what's our mission? We'll see this in verse 19, the first part. It says, go therefore and make disciples. That's our mission as the church, is to make disciples. Amen? Right? <laughs> what's a disciple? Someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It's a follower, right? So as followers of Jesus, we're to make more of ourselves. <laughs> we're to replicate ourselves. We're to make more followers of Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Well, how does someone become a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Through faith in Christ, right? So we've got to preach the gospel that others would put faith in Jesus and be saved and become fellow disciples of Jesus like we are, right? And are we great disciples? Are we uh, these mature followers of Jesus out of the box? No, right? So then we've got to help them continue to grow as disciples of Jesus once they come to faith in him, which we'll get into more later. But the picture here is we're to make other fellow followers of Jesus, First, by preaching the gospel, that they could become followers at all, and then by helping them grow as followers from there, right? That's what it means to make disciples, to make other fellow growing followers of Jesus. Amen, right? That's the core command here, make disciples. And then Jesus gives us three ways we're to do that here, going, baptizing, and teaching. So we're to make disciples, going, baptizing, and teaching. First, going, we see this in verse 19, the first part, starts with go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In other words, actively and intentionally pursuing the lost with the gospel in love that they'd be saved. Whether that's across the street, 
or across the globe. This means doing our part in intentionally pursuing and taking the gospel to the lost that they'd be saved. And to clarify, church, this means going to them, not standing around and waiting for them to come to us. This means actively pursuing them with the gospel. That's the sense of go here. Amen? That's an important reminder in this season, is it not? When we're trying to figure out how to <laughs> kind of kickstart, okay, how do we get intentionally back on mission again after everything got all weird with COVID? It's, it's an active going, right? It's not a waiting for them to come to us. It's actively going to them with the gospel and preaching uh, the good news of salvation through faith in Christ that they'd be saved, that they would become fellow followers of Jesus. But it's an active taking the gospel to them. Amen? So again, as I said a few weeks ago, yeah, it's, it's clunky right now. I understand things are weird. I understand we may have to figure out and brainstorm what, what, is, what does it look like to make disciples? What are some, some of the practical, uh, as far as how this looks in this season in a post-COVID era? That, yeah, that's going to take some troubleshooting. I understand that. But let's figure it out together. Amen? And it means going. It means being intentional. Intentionally taking the gospel to them and not standing around and just waiting for them to come to us. Amen? Secondly, baptizing. So we're to make disciples baptizing. Verse 19, the second part, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yes, this means baptizing those who respond to our preaching of the gospel with faith in water via immersion. Not that they'd be saved, but as a symbol of the salvation they already have through faith in Jesus which we've already preached on in detail a few times as far as just kind of baptism as a whole, kind of a systematic theology of baptism. But I, but I think it's also hinting at the idea of helping to immerse them in their new relationship with the triune God of the Bible. I think there, that, there's also a sense of that going on here. Helping them begin and continue in that relationship in a way that touches every aspect of their lives. As, as Chris has used this analogy before, you know, pushing the word of God to all the corners, right, of our lives. It's that idea, right? The, the way uh, water covers your whole body in baptism, to go back to kind of the illustration of, of baptizing. I think that's a helpful picture here. In the same way, we're to be immersed in water when we're baptized, where we're to help new disciples of Jesus. Uh, well, first of all, we're going to help, help them begin by preaching the gospel that they'd uh, become followers of Jesus through faith in him and then continue in that relationship in a way that touches every aspect of their lives the way water covers your whole body when you're baptized by immersion, as we see biblically, right? Which we do that, we, we help to do that through teaching, through the third thing. So we, we're, we're to go make disciples, we're to make disciples through going, baptizing, and teaching. Verse 20, the first part says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Meaning what? The whole Bible in its proper context. Right, obviously explaining what we've talked about many times, right? The moral law of God is universal, right? Because it's tied to the very heart and character of God. The civil and ceremonial law, the letter of those laws pass away, but the moral heart behind them doesn't because again that that's tied to the very heart and character of God so we ask what's the, the the moral heart the moral spirit behind those laws that continues right so those laws continue in a new covenant way but the the moral law is what's universal amen does that make sense so obviously understanding we've talked about that idea a lot 
obviously understanding that, but teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, meaning teaching them the whole Bible in its proper context. Because it's all God's word, right? It's all his word. The idea here is that we're not to, to just peace out after they come to faith. Cool, you're, you're now a fellow believer in Jesus. Good luck with all that. Like that, That's not what we're supposed to do. We're to help them grow in the faith until they reach full spiritual maturity, which happens when they die or Christ returns, right? But until then, we're helping them grow in the faith. Paul says this in, in, first, in Colossians 1, 28, 29. We see this concept laid out. Him, meaning Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature or complete in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So until they die or Christ returns, we've got work to do in helping our fellow disciples of Jesus grow in spiritual maturity via instructing them in the word, right? And this means, church, we've got to know the word, right? We've got to know the word well enough to help our fellow disciples grow in the faith until they reach the finish line. We, we can't teach them to observe all that Christ commanded if we don't know it ourselves. I know that's simple, but it's true. And so we have to continue growing in faith ourselves so that we can do our part here. So we're to make disciples going, baptizing, and teaching. And who are we to make disciples of? All nations, right? Verse 19, the first part again, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, i.e. all the peoples of the earth, of every tribe, nation, and tongue, without partiality. We're to preach the gospel to all peoples all over the globe indiscriminately. This is one of the many texts that, that tells us that racism prejudice or favoritism of any kind is completely incompatible with the gospel and out of step with the heart of God. It's not godly, it's demonic. Amen? God's heart is for all nations indiscriminately and it should be ours as well as his people. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, the, the, the great commission, the charge here, our mission to make disciples of all nations doesn't, shouldn't ever be put on, on, on complete hold, right? Shouldn't ever be completely halted. Doesn't matter what's going on. And so this is a good reminder for us to take the gospel to the nations, preach the gospel to all nations indiscriminately, even, even coming out of what's going on in the last year and a half, right? To not lose sight of that global mission, amen? So I think this is a well-timed reminder for us. This tells us our mission as the church, the global church, the global people of God in Christ. Our mission as the church is a global one. We're to labor to see all of the elect from all over the world come to saving faith in Christ and then continue to grow in the faith until they reach the finish line. Again, until either they die or Christ returns. As Christians, we should be participating in this global mission to make disciples of all nations one way or another. Either by taking the gospel to the lost overseas ourselves and or by supporting those who do 
via prayer, financially, and so forth, right? And, and just to tell you, as a church, we support a, a number of overseas missionaries. So if you're giving, you're already part of supporting overseas missions, which is all the more reasons to give, right? We're commanded to give anyway, but you're, you're helping support missions all over the globe. And so just to encourage you with that. If you're giving, you're already a part of that. Jesus then ends his commissioning of us, his giving us as his people, as his church, our mission, our primary directive in the world. He ends his commissioning of us with a promise. In verse 20, the second part, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, one commentary, the New American Commentary, uh, puts it this way. Matthew closes his gospel with Jesus' promise to be spiritually present with his followers until the end of this age, that is, until his return, when he will once again be present bodily. John Gill puts it this way. He said, which is to be understood not of his corporeal or bodily presence, which they should not have till then, but of his spiritual presence, and that he would be with them in a spiritual sense to assist them in their work, to comfort them under all discouragements, to supply them with his grace, and to protect them from all enemies and, and preserve from all evils. Not only, uh, if we're paying attention, is this another claim of deity here? Jesus is claiming omnipresence. <laughs> he's, play, he's claiming that he's present everywhere at all times, Right? So not only is this another claim of deity here, but we know from John 14 and 16 that this is also a reference to the ministry of the Holy Spirit who empowers us as we go out on mission. The sense is this then. Go make disciples of all nations and I'll be with you every step of the way. It's kind of a summary of what Jesus is getting at. Empowering you and opening the hearts of those whom I've predestined for salvation to receive the gospel you preach with faith in my sovereign timing via the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. I.e., I'm with you and nothing will happen outside of my sovereign will as you step out on mission. And frankly, ever, church. Amen? Does anything ever happen outside of the sovereign will of God? No. Right? Jesus gives us this reminder of his deity as an encouragement as he sends us out on mission. And kind of the sense of this is akin to uh, Romans 8.31, which says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I think there's that idea here. <laughs> and Jesus saying, I'll be with you always as you go out on mission to the end of the age, right? He also tells us uh, when we're supposed to carry out this mission until. He says this in verse 20, again says, to the end of the age. In other words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you until I return. That's what it means by to the end of the age, until Christ returns, right? That's the end of the age. And so until then, church, we as the church as the, the capital C global people of God through faith in Christ, right? Until then, we as the church are on the missional clock, so to speak. We're on the clock. That's our task. And making disciples is our mission until Christ returns, right? So in summary, to kind of summarize this passage, um, if you're taking notes, here's kind of the main point for this morning. It's this. We're to make disciples with confidence 
because we've been sent by the one who has all authority and is with us always. Jesus, i.e. God himself. Amen? We shouldn't go out on mission cowering in fear. You know, oh, please. <laughs> Believe me, sir, please. Right? But, but, but as those who've been sent on mission by the sovereign, all-powerful creator God of the universe who is with us always, empowering us on mission until the end of the age, till he returns when our mission is complete. We should go as messengers sent by the king of all creation with that level of confidence. Any threats that we experience, any threats against us, it should be an attitude of, well, that would be silly because of who I work for. Why would you do that? It's just not a good, it's not gonna end well for you, right? That should be our confidence. That should be our swagger, if you will, as we go out on mission. That nothing is gonna happen to me, nothing's gonna happen to us outside of God's sovereign will, and if it's God's will that this person is going to believe and be saved, then they will in God's sovereign, God's sovereign timing. Then it'll happen. So no matter how hostile, no matter how loud their bark may be right now, they, they will repent and believe in God's timing if that's God's sovereign will. Which, by the way, think back, like, I'm sure there were times you can think of before you knew the Lord <laughs> that you were that guy <laughs> or that girl, right? Where you did have a lard, a loud, lard bork. I don't know how you butcher that, but <laughs> a loud bark in opposition to the gospel. And then, lo and behold, right? God caused you to be born again. Now you believe, right? If that's God's will for the people we're preaching to, then that's what's gonna happen in God's sovereign timing, right? And that's God's department, as we've talked about many times. All we've gotta do as his people is preach the gospel and do our job as messengers. That's our job. It's God's department, whether they repent and believe. Only God can change hearts, amen? And trust that justice will be served either way. <laughs> either it was served on Christ on their behalf, if they do eventually repent and, and put faith in Christ, or it will be served on them. But trust, Lord, it's your department, whether they repent and believe, and whatever happens, justice is gonna be served, either on Christ on their behalf or on them. And that should be our confidence as we go out on mission, as messengers for the king of all creation, right? I've used this illustration before, but it's my, my king, my boss, rose from the grave. Death couldn't hold him, so what are you gonna do to me? <laughs> That'd be silly, right? <laughs> it's, not gonna, it's not gonna go well for you. That should be our confidence. Now, the problem is we often uh, don't have the confidence that we ought to but fear man over God as we go out on mission. Can we admit that? That often that's our struggle as we step out on mission. Often we're so worried about how people are gonna react, so afraid of a negative response that we keep our mouths shut rather than opening them and speaking the truth of the gospel in love that they'd be saved. We're so worried about, let's just be honest in our context, people being a little bit upset that we keep our mouths shut. Oh no, they're gonna post a passive aggressive tweet or Facebook message, right? Or leave a you know, negative Google review nobody's gonna read, right? That, that, in our context, <laughs> let's be honest, you know, could worse happen? Yes, but in our context, this is the most likely kind of thing that we get super worried about, which is, I think is just funny zooming out in human history. Can you imagine that? Just the idea of that in comparison to what the early church was dealing with? <laughs> You're worried about Google reviews right now? What are you talking about? 
right? But I, I think that's the kind of thing we worry about, right? Either way, though, the principle still stands. Whatever severity of the response we're worried about, right? Either way, the principle still stands. When we're so worried about man's reaction that we disobey God and fail to preach the gospel as we ought to, that's what? That's idolatry. Fearing man over God, right? That's putting man in the place of God, <laughs> right? Our, our fear of God, our reverence for God should be in, in the throne of our hearts and lives, right? Amen? And it's not loving our neighbors as we ought to. When we're so afraid of how our neighbors are going to react that we won't warn them of the wrath to come that they'd look to Christ and be saved from it, how is that love? It's not biblical love. That's not true love, right? It's not love. It's an idolatrous love of self and not neighbor is what it is. And, And frankly, we're deserving of hell for that, just like all of our other idolatry, just like all of our other sin, right? But here's the good news. In Christ, we're forgiven. Jesus paid for all of our sin and all of our idolatry, including our fear of man and our idolatrous love of self, in full in his death on the cross in our place, that through faith in him, we're completely forgiven. That through faith in Christ, we're completely forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, and future, because he paid for all of it in full by his blood. In Christ, our spiritual slate is cleaned, so to speak, because Jesus paid for all of it by his blood, including our idolatry. Amen? In Christ, we're made righteous. Through faith in Christ, we're counted as if we've never sinned, never been guilty of idolatry in God's courtroom because Jesus uh, never did, and that's counted to us by faith, right? Jesus was never guilty of sin. He was perfect, perfectly righteous, and that's counted to us by faith. In Christ, we're declared not guilty because Jesus is not guilty. And that righteousness is counted to us by faith so we can walk free of the hell we deserve through faith in him, right? And in Christ, we're empowered to change, to put to death our fear of man, especially coming out of 2020 and into 2021 and kind of shaking the, the, the rust off, right, as we get back to being more intentional about mission again from honestly, in some ways, halting the Great Commission, which we never should have, amen? In Christ, we're empowered to change, to put to death our fear of man and preach the gospel and make disciples with boldness more and more each day by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, the fear of man we feel today doesn't have to define our tomorrow. We can repent of it and continue to grow more and more each day by the power of the Holy Spirit until we reach full maturity ourselves until we, either we die or Christ returns, right? So, in close, just two things I want to leave you guys with. One, let's repent together of our fear of man over God, particularly as we go out on mission, especially coming out of this past year and a half, okay? Ask yourself, where have I neglected the mission that God has called me to to make disciples out of a fear of man? And I'm going to let that one sit because I think there's going to be some real real answers to that question if we're honest with ourselves after this last year and a half. Where have we neglected the mission? Where, where have, you know, some areas where we, sh- we should have gotten creative, where did, where did we just put it on pause? Amen? Is that a fair question? Who am I not pursuing that I should be with the gospel? 
Where am I keeping my mouth shut out of a fear, out of fear when I know I shouldn't be? You know, and then repent of those things wherever you find them in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's do that together, church. Amen? So firstly, let's repent of our fear of man over God, particularly as we go out on mission. Secondly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, go forth on mission to make disciples with confidence because we've been sent by the one who has all authority and is with us always. By the power of the Holy Spirit, go forth on mission to make disciples with confidence because we've been sent by the one who has all authority and is with us always. By the power of the Holy Spirit, step out on mission with the confidence of messengers who work for the king of all creation because that's who we are in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors, representatives, messengers for Christ, God himself, the king of all creation. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Church, we don't have to act like that's true of us. That is true of us. <laughs> that is who we are in Christ. Messengers who work for the creator God of the universe, the sovereign king of all creation. And so let's go forward and preach the gospel with that level of confidence. Right? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Live accordingly by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to make disciples with confidence because we've been sent by the one who has all authority and is with us always. So church, let's live accordingly by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. Lord, we repent together as a church family for where we have halted the Great Commission when we should have gotten creative. Lord, we, we want to own that and repent of that together. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness and the righteousness that is counted to us through faith in Jesus despite that failure. So Lord, we, we thank you that in Christ we're forgiven, in Christ we're declared righteous, but also in Christ we're empowered to change. So when we recognize there's a problem, particularly that we've neglected our mission in this past year and a half, or so, Lord, help us to repent of that. We, we thank you that we are empowered to change, and so, Lord, help us to live accordingly, to make that change, to repent of that together as a church family by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you again for, for the forgiveness and redemption that we have in Jesus. Help us to worship you accordingly the rest of this morning with gratitude as we uh, worship in song together this morning, finish out the rest of our service, and as we go out from here, Lord, I pray that gratitude would fuel us as we hit the ground running on mission again, that we'd be excited to share this good news of salvation through faith in Christ with others, that, that other sinners would become fellow followers of Jesus, fellow disciples of Jesus through faith in him. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.